Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. He's one of the nation's most renowned experts on homicide investigation. During his nearly 30-year law enforcement career, he's investigated more than a 1,000 homicides. In addition to law enforcement, he's also an author. And he's coming up to share his unique insight in law enforcement, investigations, in particular, homicide investigations. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Ohio, we have, and I'm very, very happy to say, we have Doyle Burke on the phone. Doyle is a retired Dayton homicide detective and still currently in the law enforcement investigative field. Doyle, thanks so much for joining us on Law Enforcement Today's show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I went to your website. I did some searching online. I checked you out. Uh, I'm sure you vetted me as well because you're, <laughs> you're an old school police and that's what people told me. That's that's what we do. So uh, we, what's the old saying is, in God we trust everybody else we search NCIC or, or polygraph. That is correct. So one of the things it said is you're you're basically a nationwide renowned expert in homicide investigation, and I'm sure when I say that, like most cops, are going to say, eh, you know, I was just doing my job. Yeah, and that, and that you took the words out of my mouth. That's right. I, I'll be honest with you, just like most of us, I don't see myself in that bright a light. But yeah, you're correct. I mean, it's I've been very fortunate that I've had a good career. And one of the things, particularly that's unique about any type of investigation, whether it be a patrolman or, or detective, and, and Doyle's going to talk about a lot of this, but once you're on the job a while and you get exposed to a lot of these, you become very proficient at what needs to be done. And we also develop a very good radar about who's not telling the truth and who's a possible suspect. Knowing who's a suspect and proving it, though, are two totally different things. Oh, absolutely. And that's what the average, I think the average citizen doesn't understand is everybody in america knows they did it but we're the ones that have to prove it I, i've gotten so tired of hearing that people say well was it are they just they'll say one of two things are the police just lazy and don't want to lock them up or is he politically connected and therefore gets favors and i was like oh. that's not the case at all it's usually you don't have a thing called probable cause or evidence oh absolutely and uh, one of the cases if you'd like i could 
tell you in a three-minute snippet that uh, really exemplifies that was Samantha Ritchie was a little little girl, four years old, missing from her home. It caught nationwide attention because it was at the time of the Susan Smith trial. The woman uh, who down south drowned both of her kids. Oh yeah, I remember that. And and she and she created a big scenario that she was carjacked or something, and the, and the thieves exactly. drove the car. In the, yeah, and it was her. So we had the same scenario here in that Samantha Ritchie's mother. Joe Lynn Ritchie was on nationwide TV. Oh, bring my little girl back. Oh, and it just looked fake. And everywhere, I mean, we hadn't found her body. It took us three and a half days to find the body. And I mean, everybody, everywhere you go is exactly what you said, Jay. Come on. Everybody knows she did it. Yeah, that's a good probability. But we have the burden of proof. And ultimately, we got it. She got convicted of murder, which in Ohio carries a mandated 15 to life and other felonies, obviously, abuse of a corpse and tampering with evidence and things like that. So she's never going to get out. But you're so right. The average person is like, oh, I can tell you she did it. Yeah, but you can't testify to that. Right. And therein lies the problem. Yeah, and, and a lot of the news people, they don't help with that either. They, they're very good at no. surmising <laughs> and unnamed sources and this and... It, it, over, I, one of the things I, that gets my goat when I watch like Investigation Discovery Channel, which I watch a lot, they always say the police mishandled this. They didn't do a good job. They're blah, 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 blah. And it's always negative about the police. And I've never encountered a crime scene that was perfect that walked and said, oh, here's smoking gum evidence. Here's physical evidence. Here's DNA. Here's fingerprints. And here's a civilian independent eyewitness that corroborates everything. I've never had that. I've never had the perfect crime scene, ever. I would love to have one. Uh, I think it's a unicorn. It doesn't exist. I mean, if you think just common sense-wise, somebody found that crime scene. So it's already tainted. We just do damage control. Obviously, we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to navigate the medics through, the uniformed officers are. Uh, we're Once we get there on homicide, we're going to limit access and make sure that everything's documented but there is no perfect crime scene uh and you're you're absolutely right again we we play the cards that we're dealt and most of the crime scenes are imperfect just tell me what happened tell me that you ran in to see if she was alive and these are your footprints let me look at your shoes let's get it taken care of and try to clean it up so we know that even though this is imperfect it's not important yeah, I, I would love to have some of the scenes that they have on these TV shows. The murders are solved in, in an hour from start to finish. They get DNA back so quickly. We're, we're going to talk about all that in a moment. Before we get really deep in the conversation, I know that you're retired from the Dayton Police Department. I know you're doing some other investigative work, but you're also a novelist, for lack of better words. Tell us about your book. Oh, well, I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's one of those things where, I'll be honest with you, I had a fantastic career. Dayton had more than its share of unique death investigations, and a lot of them attained national attention. A lot of them were just interesting locally, but it's a thing that people are interested in, and I resisted for years writing a book. I just never had any real desire to do that. And you know, as well as I do, a lot of guys, they'll go out to the scenes and they'll, they'll even make little notes for their diaries and things. I never even did that. But the more books I read and the more that I read that I didn't like because they were the TV show books, mm-hmm. 
I w- actually, I was on a plane heading out uh, west, and I sat there, and I looked at my wife, and I said, I'm going to write a book. And she goes, well, it's about time. And so on that three-and-a-half-hour plane ride, I started jotting down things that I thought I wanted to put in this book, and then I started kind of going through cases that I thought exemplified that. time we landed, I had 68 different things. I'm like, well, nobody's going to read this. This is going to be like war and peace. So I trimmed it back, and then I added. And finally, it, it, long story short, it kind of narrowed down to 28 chapters. And I didn't know what I was doing. There was a term for it. It's called thematic, because I am not a writer. But I would say, okay, cause of death. This is what it is. And this kind of exemplified, this case will exemplify how that was important or why it was tricky or making death notifications. And this is why we like to do that ourselves. And here's a case. So it's kind of, it's a book you can read. It is chapter one through chapter 28. It's not in chronological order. And there are things that I talk about in the early chapters to kind of get you ready for the following chapters, but it's one you could really truthfully sit down and read chapter 19 and then go back and read chapter 3 and, and kind of hunt and peck through without a whole lot of difficulty. And the name of the book, I believe, is Death as a Living, correct? Yeah, I just thought that was kind of my life. I mean, I retired from Dayton after doing 22 years on homicide, and now I've done 12 years as the chief investigator for the coroner's office. I'm like, this is a living. And I said, and that's the title of my book, Death as a Living. Where can people get more information or order the book online? It is being published now by Ink Shares. And uh, it just Ink Shares, all one word, I-N-K-S-H-A-R-E-S. That's InkShares.com. Get more information. The book is called Death as a Living. We are talking with Doyle Burke. This is a Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603-800-451-8603-800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, 
co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Back to our conversation with Doyle Burke. Doyle is a retired Dayton, Ohio police detective, currently working for the coroner's office as a lead investigator, and also a novelist who wrote the book Death as a Living. By the way, Doyle, that's that's a great topic, a great subject line, and there are many times, I'm sure many police felt like, A, that we were either dealing with death all the time, or... We spend our days as directing traffic, not necessarily a traffic cop, but directing people where to go, answering questions. This is what you do. This is who you contact. And then you got the dead call. Then you get the DOA. And the worst of all, one of the worst of all, was the, the, the decomposing body. You get the call from the dispatcher. Neighbor hasn't been seen in four or five days. It's hot. The windows are closed. Mail stacked up. And you get there, and there's flies on the window. And you go, oh, no. I know exactly what's coming. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, and there's so many misconceptions about the decomposed body call. I think the one that I laugh about the most is the rubbing of the Vicks Vapor Rub on your nostrils. I even put that in the We've book. tried that, and it never worked. Uh, yeah, I go, that's to open up your pores. Now you'll have the yeah. mini fresh smell of death. We had guys smoking uh, cigars that didn't smoke. Uh, I oh, carry yeah. it's, uh, Lysol the, spray, the bottom, aerosol bottom spray. Bottom line is, yeah. deal with it. it. Yeah, or burning coffee grinds in a pan in the kitchen. Nothing ever oh, really worked. There are so many different things that are supposed to work. That do, And believe me, I know they don't work because I tried them just like everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is, we'll see guys... And I see it still today. They'll wear painter's masks and things like that, which that will cut down on the smell. However, they walk in there without any other protective gear on that painter's mask, and I go, that worked pretty good for you? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I go, take it off now. Oh, my hair, my clothes, everything that Absolutely. I didn't protect now smells just like that. And that's yeah. why we had the Lysol aerosol. We'd just spray our uniforms down. And, yeah. And the only thing you could do really was take a shower. That was it. And the type of smell... You hear it all the time in television. I heard, I smelled an odor that was unique and different. Once you smelled that, you will know it immediately. And I've never really, maybe said bad meat in a refrigerator would be closest I've ever seen to it or smelled of it, but uh, it's very distinct and very different. Yeah, you're right. And, and you'd have to quadruple that bad meat smell, but that's pretty close. And when you say take a shower, you are not kidding. And you take a cold water shower. <laughs> even if it's in the middle of winter, because that hot shower is just going to amplify it for, for a time. And, I, and I've and i got a routine. I come, I call my wife, and I say, set two paper bags out in the garage, have an attached garage. I go in, 
strip off all my clothes in one bag, my gun, my badge, everything else in another bag, and run upstairs and get in the shower because that's just the way it is. It's not going to go away on its own. And I understand exactly what you're saying, but I tried to, and I actually have given up trying to explain that to people. They'll ask. They've asked before. I'm sure you've had the questions. Some of them well-intended, some of them sarcastic, some of them condescending. But one of them is like, what is it like to deal with a dead person and do these investigations? And I remember the first one I ever saw, I was a high school teenager. We are in a circle tour in New York, and there was a body floating in the river. And to this day, I don't know what happened. That shortly after that, as a teenager driving a taxi cab, woman's husband didn't pick her up at the airport. I drove her there. His car was in the driveway. She asked if I take the luggage inside, and immediately I could tell something was wrong. And it turns out yeah, he was a suicide. And I don't think, even though I saw those two things, that even adequately prepared me for what it's like to investigate not just questionable deaths, but obvious homicides. There's no, there's no comparing the two. Well, talk about your coincidences. Just like you said when you were young, I grew up in the inner east side of Dayton, which is a rough end of town. And one of the local high schools, my street dead-ended into it. So we would go up and sit on the hill and watch football practice. I was 11, and one of the football coaches was trying to get this disruptive student off the field. And finally, he picks him up and uh, to carry him off. When he does, student pulls out a knife and stabs him in the back and kills him. First dead body I'd ever seen other than at a funeral home, and, and very few of them. And it was interesting and unsettling at the same time, but you're right. I thought, I'm prepared for this stuff when I, when I go into Dayton. And, well, you hit the streets of any city of, of any size that has any type of crime at all. And what an eye-opener. I thought I lived in the ghetto and that I'd seen everything, and I had seen nothing. And then once we got our first dead body call, it's different when you're not there to just look. When you're the one that's there... And the information that you get is going to be important and whether or not you need to call out homicide or whether or not this is an accident or a natural and all the different ramifications, it's phenomenal. And I'll tell you, I teach death investigation at our state police academy and I tell everyone, don't forget who you are just because we've introduced a dead body into the scene. Have phenomenal detectives. Uh, put together strings of armed robberies that, you know, it's a spreadsheet of, of things that are going on. We have forgery detectives that, you know, are analytical, and they do so much, so many things that I have no clue how to do. And just fantastic detectives, and you put a dead body into the situation, and it's like they've lost their mind. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what to do. It just overwhelms them. I'm just like, it. be confident that you can do this, and don't be overwhelmed. You can do this, but it does. I mean, I think that's universal that the average police officer, first few times, you're just overwhelmed by the the entire situation. It's, it's very upsetting at first. I, I remember the very first call I had for a dead body, it was at a makeshift geriatric home where they converted the, the right. house into apartments for elderly, and the guy died in a bathtub. And it was a natural causes, but you know, here I was, 21, 22 years old, didn't know anything and there's this man and there's no dignity left at that point when you're you're dead in the bathtub there's no dignity and i'm actually freaking out and it's me 
you're you're on the street two three months and it's you you got to make the calls you got to make the decision you got to process the evidence right and we had to treat that as if it was a homicide until it's proven otherwise you didn't start off the other way around oh it looks natural and therefore treat it as if it didn't matter no you treated like it was a big deal from the very beginning because you couldn't go back and repeat that process well and i have no problem with departments that still hand out checklists and guidelines for death scenes and and things like that and that's fine but i you know the bottom line is you got to bring your common sense into the door with you you got to bring all of your investigative background whether you're whether or not you're a uniformed officer there are a million investigations that uniformed officers do and just like you said it's knowing people reading people looking at the situation reading the situation there's no checklist there's no box you check for that you have to go in and use your head. In addition to making sure that you've got everything you want and everything you need, you've got to make some decisions at some point. You've got to make a judgment call. I think this happened, but could it have been this? What does this tell me? What does that tell me? I think that's where we lose most of the people initially in the decision-making process, at least initially, rests with them. It does. And the uniform patrolman is probably the most important part of the link because they're the first ones there. And they're the ones that, that make the first call. Them are the ones that make the first protection of the crime scene, everything else. And I'm not taking away from what the homicide detectives do because I know their job is tough. It's very, very tough. But people underestimate the value of that patrolman, that patrol officer and their sergeant because that's usually what happened with us. Yeah, the patrolman gets a call, they notify their supervisor, and the supervisor goes, yeah, we need to notify homicide. And, and then they come on out. And from there, it was a long ordeal. You make it sound very methodical in your investigation of uh, homicides and deaths. And reality, is that the best way to describe it? It's, it's a method? It is. It's an acquired method, and everybody has their own methods. But... Pretty much universally, I think I would be safe to say, you go in, and it's the difference between what you have theoretically and what you have realistically. We go in with a theory. The uniform crew runs up to you and says, this is what we've got in the five minutes we've been here. And you base a theory based on that very limited piece of information. And as you go through, you start seeing other things realistically that don't match your theory. So you change your theory. And I always like to tell people, change your theory. Don't make facts fit your theory. Make your theory fit the facts. Because how many times, Jay, have you seen something come across on the news? Man shot in back of the head five times, ruled suicide. And you go, what? Yeah. Well, somebody went in. There was a gun laying there. He had a massive head wound. You're not going to get down there and start trying to count holes or anything in a, in a massive head wound. Yeah, he was despondent. His wife left him. It's his gun. Uh, well, it's a suicide. Next day at the autopsy, this guy has five holes in the back of his head. And then you start trying to make that fact fit your theory. Oh, well, maybe he didn't hit anything vital the first four times, or maybe he fired it real fast. or maybe you, That's what gets you in trouble. What you do is you say, wow, we thought it was a suicide. Apparently it's not. We'll change our theory now to fit the realistic facts. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Doyle Burke. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll be right back.
Are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money? Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677, 24 hours, and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800-956-0677, get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677. So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? What did I do to become a music radio DJ? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. The answer is simple. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting's 11 East Coast campuses, students have learned by doing for 55 years. Radio, television, podcasting, and now coding for web development. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. Day and evening classes are available. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting is perfect for those graduating from high school, adults looking for new career training, first responders, and veterans too. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting has locations in Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and North Carolina. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. What are you waiting for? Get more information. Call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. That's 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Again, 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You've messed up your daughter's haircut. Do you, A, get spiritual? Mom, where's the mirror? Beauty is within. Oh. B, find the positives. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or C, show empathy. Mom, you really don't have twinsies. I kind of love it. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on adoption, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, or download our free app, also available on our website. That's lawenforcementtoday.com. Joining us on the phone from Ohio, Doyle Burke. Doyle, 20-some-odd years in Dayton, Ohio Police Department is a homicide detective and now currently investigator for the coroner's office. Is that correct? That's correct. 
And you've been doing this, Death is a Living thing. Now, by the way, that's the name of your book, Death is a Living. Uh, people can get more information on uh, online at inkshares.com. You've been doing death investigations for, what, almost 30 years? Uh, actually, with the coroner's time, uh, 35 years now. It's amazing how quickly, I'm sure you look back, there's so many cases and they become a blur, but some stand out to you. And a, a, a real quick one for me, I remember I was a sergeant and we had a call, like those terrorist type apartments, you know, one level up, one level up, one level up. Right. And there was a, a woman's body uh, thrown down the stairs like a bag of trash and viciously stabbed. And uh, the officer, we started the neighborhood canvas, started knocking on doors. He goes, oh, by the way, uh, Sergeant Wiley, I have a, a criminal summons for the guy in this apartment. So I knocked on the door, he opened the door and we said hello. I looked at him and I noticed a spot of blood right underneath his eyeball on his cheek, high up. And I immediately put my foot between him and the door, myself and the door in the frame, and I could see blood all over his shoes. And it turns out he this is a prostitute and he murdered her viciously in his bathroom. The crime scene was still there. And we wound up getting the guy. But it was all based on, and I hate to say this because it's hard to say in court, it was based on a hunch and off seeing a tiny speck of blood, which could have been from shaving. But something in my gut instinct said there's something wrong with this guy. He's acting hinky. And that led to blah, 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 blah. Do you encounter that hinky feeling or how do you explain that to people? Yeah, I, I actually, I call it police intuition. <laughs> and, and I, to civil, and, and police know what I'm talking about. You just get that vibe. Mm-hmm. Something isn't right. And people will go, well, everybody grieves differently. I agree. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who, they'll see somebody on TV and go, well, she did it. Why do you say that? Well, I can tell, oh, so you're using your intuition and past recollections of how things have occurred and how she's not accurate. Amplify that. That's police intuition. Absolutely. And it comes into play in so many cases. One of the cases I always found very, very difficult, and I know most police do, is involving babies and young children. Uh, I understand you had one that was, if not nationally famous, is probably worldwide. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know you're you're talking about China Arnold was a suspect, uh, the murderer, and Paris Talley was her three week old baby, and that was the only child, well, the only human to ever be microwaved to death in a microwave oven at the time. There's since been one other in Sacramento, uh, but it was a whole new territory. For us, because we're trying to figure out what happened, we'd never had anything. You had no reference point. There was nothing you could go back to and go, oh, well, this is this because we've had 50 other microwave babies we've looked at. Well, we didn't have anything like that. But we did have our police intuition, and there were things that were said and done by the suspect, the mother, that weren't right. They lived in a, it's called Parkside Homes, it's a project. And there's a lot of good people live there, and there's a lot of bad people live there. You know how the projects are. Yep. Uh, anything good, people will take advantage of. So we're alerted to this by Children's Medical Center, which is a huge hospital in Dayton, uh, and it's near Parkside Homes. When the mother, China Arnold, and her boyfriend, the baby's father, bring this child to Children's Medical Center. And... The nurse is trying to do chest compressions, and the chest is so brittle, it cracks open. And the doctor is infuriated. The nurse is traumatized. And 
they say, who, who burned this baby? And the mother, it, it's like they put a neon sign above their head saying, pay attention to me, I did it. The mother says, oh, my baby's not burned. Her skin flakes off like that all the time. What mother says that in that type of situation? No one. I can't think of anybody to respond that way. And there, that's what I'm talking about. That is the common sense police intuition. Okay, we're not charging you with murder based on that. We're going to look closely at you. And a couple of things that was problematic for us is we never had anything like this. These were thermal injuries. They were heat-related injuries. But it was a clear pattern on the chest of this very small child. I would say it's like if you took a cookie sheet, although it had to be decidedly smaller. So it was definitely a rectangular thermal injury on this child's chest. And the organs inside obviously showed thermal injuries. So, you know, with a hot water immersion or something like that, and you hold the baby under, you're going to get splash marks. You're going to have a clear line of where the legs and the feet went in the scalding water, but nothing else. Well, we didn't have anything like that. So you look for a heating pad. I look for a cookie sheet. Uh, I look for anything like that. I'd never seen anything like that. So Homicide Squad were working the scene. And I'm also running back and forth to the coroner's office, talking to Dr. Updegrove, saying, what is this? He's like, it's thermal injuries. You're right. But I don't know. I don't know what the source is. And so this went round and round for a while. And through a a lot of investigation, forensic investigation by the coroner's office, Dr. Updegrove thought prevailed that this is from a microwave. And by the time we realized that, they had moved. Fortunately, they left the microwave oven in the house or in the apartment, and the apartment had not been rented out. It had been closed since that time. We had to get another search warrant, and you know how hard that is to go back. Yeah. But we had photographs of that microwave. It was uh, very visually different. It wasn't one of your, there's 5,000 of these at Walmart this week. It was an older, huge black microwave. It had a dent. This was the microwave that was there in the photos. This was the microwave that was there at the time of the second search warrant. So we go, we take it, we find the baby's DNA in the microwave. This baby's been microwaved. We had to elicit the help of a microwave expert who came in and said, yeah, you get that pattern because every one of these microwaves has a heating unit in a different area. That's why all the modern ones now have the turntables because that's why this is spared, untouched, and this is baked through, basically. This area is right underneath the transponder. This area is not. So we did a, quite a bit of work on this, obviously. And we would interview the mother, and she was very veiled, never made a 100% admission. Just, uh, you know, if, if things hadn't been going the way they were, uh, this would have never happened to her. It's usually uh, always someone there, else's right? yeah. fault. Yes, it, it, I'm the only one there. Right. If, some, uh, if somebody else had done this or this hadn't happened, I, it was a mistake. That's what we yeah. always got. It was. I didn't intend to kill them. Well, I'm sorry. When you put your baby in a microwave and turn it on, that's a lot of intent. It's kind of hard to, to, to say that was an accident. Yeah, exactly. And and how does the baby's DNA get into a microwave oven? Uh, and then, you know, it's just time for the trial and we had the lab make a plexiglass oven identical in size to the one that was used. It's a murder weapon. And um, we had a doll made to be identical to Paris Tally 
and showed how you would put that child in the microwave oven, and then you could see. Even I could see then, because I understood what the microwave expert was saying, but you can't beat visually being able to see, oh, the legs are tucked under, and this, oh, that's why this got hot here, but it didn't get hot there, and it made sense. And Um, that's, uh, I appreciate what you do. I want to thank you for doing that. It puts people, normal people, in extremely abnormal situations trying to resolve and understand and come to some resolution about who did this. And none of us could ever, ever imagine doing something that heinous. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603. 800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Back to our conversation with Doyle Burke. Doyle, the retired Dayton, Ohio police detective, currently an investigator for coroner's office. Death is his living. Is that the name of your book or death is? Death, uh, death as a living. Death but as you're living. right. Death is my living, but the book is death as a living. And it's available. Get more details online at inkshares.com. Dealing with all this death, dealing with all this murder and all this homicide and unexpected deaths and even accidental deaths, they leave a mark on people. They change you some way. I, I can tell you, I remember being... Uh, a patrolman and having young kids on the street and then a few years later i'm there as they took their last breath when they were shot because they came up short with a dope man and something about that scenario changes you 
it's almost impossible not to. And when you dealt with the, the baby in the microwave, first of all, you had the challenges of this is a homicide we've never seen before. Secondly, you were talking about a three-month-old baby and a parent doing something that none of us could ever imagine. How do you walk away from that and, and still be kind of somewhat okay? Well, I, I, I have to agree with you. It, you cannot say that it doesn't affect you because it does. And some people handle it better than others and some leave. I mean, they can't handle it. They, they move on to another squad or just leave the police department in total. But I, I always said, even though my book is titled Death as a Living, this is my career. This is not my life. And you have to have life outside of this. And, yeah, you come home from that little baby or that, you know, bad scene, and you go home, you hug your kids, and you reenter your life. But then you've got to go back to what you do as your career. And I think what drives most of the guys that are long-term in homicide is they want to see justice for that victim. Uh, and they want to just keep plodding along. But I'm just telling you, Jay, you've probably seen it too. We've had so many people lose their lives at their own hand because they could not get away from the job. You yeah. have to have something outside the job. And we're going to talk in a future date. We're going to have to talk about investigating line of duty deaths for other officers killed in line of duty because that's that's oh, particularly yeah. I, I don't understand how even to this day how homicide detectives do it uh, i know what they do but how they do it and how they find a way to live with it i have never understood but you investigated uh, a particularly heinous crime uh, that was nicknamed the christmas killings that uh, kind of stand out why are they so important what what made them unique I think the reason that, especially, well, number one, it was horrible. Uh, six innocent people killed in a very short time, couple-day time period. But what garnered such attention was, well, number one, it's around Christmas. Hence the name, the Christmas Killers. Right. And, and you know how that is. Anytime it's around Christmas, that's your time of happiness and peace on earth. And all of a sudden, boom, you're afraid to leave your house. Because these people, which after we got them, found out they had kind of tagged themselves as the downtown posse and they were going around they were spree killers they were killing people they didn't even know for fun and you could be anybody could be a victim and in fact we're very fortunate there were other incidents involving these people i can't think of how many now four or five i can think of off the top of my head where they were targeting other people but something you know something came up they were going to steal a car here and Somebody saw them or they were waiting at an ATM for somebody to come up and rob them, but, you know, it just didn't work out. Or they shot this individual, but they were able to run away. There could have been a dozen people dead in that time period. And the problem is, you know as well as I do, any stranger on stranger crime is very, very difficult to solve. You have, you don't have any ties. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, the, you know, the, the little baby that was microwaved. What stranger comes into that? You're going to look at the mother, the father, people, you know, familiar with that child. You know, domestics. Uh, doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure this out. You just got to prove it. But when you got somebody, well, the first victim that we were aware of, because they'd already killed one that we hadn't found yet, the first victim we were aware of was a young girl using a payphone on Christmas Eve. And they walk up and say, Merry Christmas, shoot her six times. Uh, didn't even know who she was. The, the part of me is not police wants to say, who the heck does that? 
but the reality is, and I think if people truly understood that there are a very small percentage of people out there like this, but there could be a total loser down the street who has absolutely nothing positive going on in their life that can take you out, and they will. If we, if they, if people understood that, they'd never sleep. Well, I, I agree with you again, and I think the Christmas killings kind of brought that to the forefront of the average person. But you're right. Maybe not on this grand a scale, but it happens all the time. And I'll have people all the time, and I know you have too, they'll go, why did he kill that man? Uh, he took his parking place. That's an actual case. Yeah, uh, and it, He bought it makes... the wrong brand of beer. Yeah. That's an actual case. Yeah. They're like, what? They want it to be something like, not that they deserved it, but like, oh, he uh, had beat up his child and said he was going to come back and hurt his Oh, yeah, that's what. The, oh, no, it was over a wrong brand of beer. The majority of these homicides are over minuscule things. And that scares the average person. And the fact that maybe random people, like in the case with this, the, the Christmas killings, would just randomly target anybody. Uh, the Beltway Snipers is another example. Those things are very, very, very rare. But when they happen, they're very hard to prove. And they're very hard to successfully uh, arrest and, and prosecute the people, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And the one thing that really tied this together initially for us was it was in 1992. And if you'll remember, Blazer ammunition, the aluminum case ammunition that's just disposable target ammo, was just getting popular. And nobody, it was not self defense ammo or anything like that. We had 25 automatic Blazer spent casings at the scenes. Like, who uses it? The, the chances of two people using this ammunition in that same time period, there's no chance. This is a serial killer or killers. And as we started getting some situations where there were living victims as well as the deceased, and they started describing, well, there were two black males and a black female, we started seeing we had our hands full that we had a group we were looking for. So it was a group of killers and then contained females, which a lot of people have a stereotype that females don't kill. And you and I both know that's not true. Well, the one thing that uh, there was just a TV show they did about this. Uh, it was a, the name of the series is For My Man, and it was about Laura Taylor, who was a young, a juvenile girl, and came from another stereotype. Came from a good home, had everything going for her. Intelligent. It's always well. They didn't know their father, and they did. no, 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 no. This girl had everything going for her, and she wanted something more. And she was the most vicious one of the group. And she even orchestrated some of the homicides. She pulled the trigger on some of the homicides. And it's just hard for people to wrap their head around that because of all the people involved, it was, look at this poor little girl. Oh, I bet she was just, no, she was not just drug along. And I'll tell you, we pride ourselves on our interview techniques. And we get most everybody to talk. Not a full, con who gets a full confession? Very rare. It's very, very rare. But uh, you get them to admit what they did. Oh, but I did it because of this. That's fine. Laura Taylor was the only one of the group that not only did not confess, she wouldn't even talk to us. She sat there. I walked into the interview room with my partner you need anything? Everything okay? Uh, anything we can get for you? Would you like to use the restroom? She stands up, urinates on the floor, sets back down. She was very hard. 
And that just defies all the stereotypes that we have. And even as a retired police, I still have some of them. And you don't want to think that would be the case. Uh, We're running out of time, Doyle. I'm definitely going to have you back again, man. There's so much to talk about. Uh, Give us details about your book, the name, and where people can get it. At InkShares, I-N-K-S-H-A-R-E-S, InkShares.com. And the name of the book is Death as a Living. Death as a Living. I'll close this. And I'm sure you're going to get what I mean there's a, there's a hierarchy in, in police work. We have little names we call each other, and the, the death investigators, the, the homicide men and women, they, they had their own unique culture in every department. Some wore fedoras, some wore bow ties, and, but they were unique set of characters. And a patrolman oh, absolutely. Like me, we, yeah. we were no different. We, uh, it was our uniform. We wore black leather coats in the winter and dark, and we always wore a dark dark gray, black, or dark blue suit, 24 hours a day. You call us at 3 a.m., we're coming looking like we're going to a tea party somewhere, but we're going to look professional, we're going to look good. That that was our power, those long black leather coats. It, it was the uniform. And I, I'll remember a case that uniformed officer uh, was escorting a guy over to jail, and they go, well, you got all the power, man, you got all this stuff. And he looked, he said, turn around and take a look. And I was standing there in my black leather there it goes. It's That's time. the power right there. Time for business. Dole Burke, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me again, Jay. In every community across the United States, towns, cities, states, we have law enforcement officers. We have first responders. We have incredible stories of heroism from our first responders. From law enforcement officers, EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, In addition to that, we have heroic crime victim survivors. If you want to tell your story of survival and how you recovered and how you rebuilt your life, feel free to contact us. We'd love to have you as a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. We made it so easy to get a hold of us, too. There's many different ways. Go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. The Contact Us page is the webpage. Download our free app. On our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. You can contact us through the free app. You can contact us on our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Heck, send me an email. My email address is j, that's J-A-Y, at lawenforcementtoday.com. You see, we'd love to hear your story. And we know, we hear so often, I have a story to tell, but no one will give me a platform. Law Enforcement Today is your platform. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at Law Enforcement Today. On behalf of everyone associated with the show and the website, this is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.